Welcome to the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. My name is Nina Sunday, and in this episode, we're joined by Dr. Gary McGrath. And after graduating in mechanical and metallurgical engineering, Dr. Gary McGrath entered the US Army where he commanded a, uh, a unit of 120 soldiers and he was only 25. He went on to work at several Fortune 500 companies and startup technology companies. 11 years ago, after earning a Doctor of Business Administration, a DBA, in marketing, he founded his company, Statarius. Leader Step 7 is his holistic leadership development program to transform bosses into leaders with compassionate accountability. A CSP, certified speaking professional with the National Speakers Association and author of two books. The second, A CEO's Journey, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. Welcome, Dr. Gary. Well, thanks, Nina. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, the tagline, intentional leadership. Um, tell me about the book and especially what you mean by intentional leadership. Yeah, so I guess instead of just saying the seven steps of leadership, it's the seven steps of intentional leadership, to your point. And well, our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassion and accountability. It's kind of a mouthful, but it starts with building relationships. And so many of us really didn't get trained at a young age to build relationships. We're just told that to go out there and you know make relationships, just make it happen. And the problem is, is that experience alone is a horrible teacher. And that's what we base most of our interpersonal building on is our experience. And so few of us are intentionally developed to be more effective in building relationships or building uh, our leadership capabilities. So intentional leadership is about, first of all, being aware, being aware of who I am, being aware of what I stand for, being aware of the opportunity to step up and be my best self every single day. And if I can do that in my interaction with others and be that level of authenticity and that level of just self-awareness, then I can start down this path of leadership development. Without it, without being intentional, then we're, we're unconscious, which is what many people are. And therefore, it makes sense that rather than operate on autopilot, just focusing on results as a manager, surely a manager should be reflecting. And perhaps one way to reflect is to always have at, at their table to just flip open a page on leadership, leadership development, leading people. So they're actually focusing on like a little mini lesson a day and to see if they can apply it. Is, is that the sort of, um, how would you really uh, help people focus on being more intentional as they start each day? Well, it's, it's interesting that you should say that to focus on that one little thing each day. One of the things that we do in our leadership program is we tell people to identify one thing, one thing that you can work on, work on that for the next 30 days, something important. Let's say it's an emotional intelligence strategy where I'm working on my social awareness, which my strategy is to read the mood in the room when I walk in. I can't tell you the number of times that leaders will walk into a meeting. You know, it's eight o'clock in the morning, they're getting ready to go into a, one of their staff meetings and 
before they walk in, I ask them, take a moment, just stop. Before you open the door, listen. See if there's a lot of chatter in the room or if it's silent. When you walk in, rather than making a bold statement to start with, just take five seconds to see, are people all on their, their cell phones? Are people talking to each other? Are they engaged in a conversation about the weekend or something that happened yesterday? Or is there a, a collective conversation about an important topic that just happened recently? In other words, what is happening in that room, both in informationally and interpersonally and emotionally? And do that like quickly. Because my approach at that point, based on what I see and hear, is going to determine how I open my mouth. I'm, if, if it's quiet, I'm going to say, did somebody die in here? You know, is, what, what's going on? You know, if it's, if it's very boisterous, I might say, you know, if this is an important part of the meeting, let's calm down now and get to the agenda. So I'm going to adjust what I say and how I say it based on the mood in the room. And I'm going to tell you, most leaders just walk in, they sit down and they say, let's get started. They're only thinking about what's in their head. They're not th looking at the behavior of the team. And it sounds like there's two extremes. There's the people that I call it thubbing, phone snubbing. When they're, they're, they're sitting next to a human, but they're, on their, they're scrolling through their phone. I mean, that is a real snub. And would you say a healthy team is one where they're engaged in a conversation probably about their lives, you know, or whatever, not strictly speaking to work, but they're actually engaged as, as colleagues, just finding out a little bit about each other versus the silent room where everybody's just um, inside their own bubble, if you like. So have you seen that, that ex those two extremes? Yeah. And, you know, the, the point is there's so much in what you just said that that's really important. Let's, let's take a second and back up and ask anybody that's listening to think about the last few meetings they've been in and what is going on around them. Because as I say, leadership is a responsibility, not a position. It's not just the leader's responsibility, the one who is quote unquote in charge at that moment of the meeting to take the mood in the room, but you can take the mood in the room. You can understand what's going on. So I, I ask people, let's be more aware of what you're doing in that moment. Are you fubbing, as you say? Am I, are you on your phone and, and not paying attention because you're more of an introvert? You don't really want to talk to anybody. Well, if you ever want to be a leader or be in a leadership position, put the phone down, look into another human being's eyes, say something about their life, and start to build the relationship. Because three years from now, that person that you looked in the eyes and you said, hey, Nina, how are you doing today? No, really, how are you doing? How was your weekend? What did you do for the weekend? You know, do you have a dog or a cat or do you have a children or do you, you know, get to know the human being a little bit. Because as I said, three years from now, that person might be reporting to you or you're reporting to them and you want to have a relationship with them. Start there. Start the meeting that way build a relationship, then focus on the goal. That's the definition of our, le our, our leadership definition. So if we can get people in the moment to just be aware for that few seconds, and even if it's only a 10 second conversation, we might be able to make a connection that starts a spark of a relationship that could be there for a long time. Mm. I'm wondering, Dr. Gary, what is what you think is the most important interpersonal skill of a leader? 
the most important interpersonal skill of a leader is coaching, the ability to coach. And within coaching, there's multiple underlying skills. The most important skill of coaching is questioning. Mm. I question, I listen. And one of the things that we try to get our leaders to really focus on is to stop answering questions and start asking questions. Absolutely. So, in fact, they could have this whole um, modus operandi is if they're asked a question as part of the answer, fire a question back. Not necessarily fire, but, but ask a considered question that continues to get the people in the room listening, or even if it's a one-on-one, uh, get them thinking about, uh, well, the questions that uh, you want them to maybe go into a deep dive into uh, reflective uh, and critical thinking. So is that kind of a, an approach to take? Sure. I mean, let's let's take it at the very simplest level. There are there were a lot of departments that I took over when I was in manufacturing many years ago, working for Procter and Gamble, and and I would take them over and turn them around. So going into the department in manufacturing, I was the least experienced of everybody. I was in my twenties or thirties. The people that were there were had been there for 10, 15, 20 years. And they'd come in and say, well, hey, Gary, what do you think we should do with this? I mean, I, or uh, we got a problem out there. What should we do? And I would just look at them. I'd use my favorite three words. I don't know. What, what, what have you done before? How have you solved this problem before? Have you ever faced it before? Um, have you brought the team together to try to figure out together how to, how to solve it? You know what? Let's go out on the floor and let's figure this out. And I'd walk out on the floor and bring the crew together and say, what do you think we should do here? And they would say, you don't know. I'd like, hell no, I don't know. I just got here. (laughs) And actually being ignorant was a great thing because it forced me to coach and to ask questions. And that's exactly what a coach does. They, they, if, right. you know, you might, they might be coaching one-on-one. A good coach will say, well, what do you think you should do? That's right. So you and the problem, put a mirror onto their own uh, problem. The problem that we have in today's uh, sports-filled media uh, uh, television programs with sports is they see a coach yelling at a player and telling them what to do. And, and then they, they associate the behavior with the word. So that's what a coach does. Or when they were at grade school or high school uh, in this country, um, in, in college, if they were in a sport, the coach tells them what to do. And the coach doesn't ask them, well, what do you think we should do quarterback? Or what do you think we should do point guard? And what do you think we should do tennis player? No, they don't. They tell you what to do. And the problem is people connect the coach, quote unquote, the sports coach with the business coach. It's not the same. And I do believe that there is a distinction between coach and mentor. And I think if you use the word mentor, a mentor is allowed to give advice and counsel, but a coach really, their job is never to give advice or counsel. It's really to ask incisive questions that will bring out the insights that are already uh, sitting within the, the brain of the person they're communicating with. Is that one way to think about it? Absolutely. I think you've described it beautifully. You know, mentors tend to be outside the chain of command, as I always say, and somebody that can help and advise you with your career, somebody with some wisdom and experience that can guide you, whereas a coach can be either internally or externally, but the coach asks questions, doesn't give answers. So just to your point. 
So you talk about your Leader Step 7 uh, leadership development program. Is, is that because there are obviously seven steps? And if there are, what is probably uh, the first step? The first step, if somebody listening to this could say, well, what's something I can do apart from reading your book? What's something I can do to be a, become a better leader? Yeah, so we, what we have is we have two things, two two models. I'm a models guy, I like pictures. So if we could show a picture, oh, you wow. know, just imagine a wheel, okay? Yes. And leader step seven is the leadership uh, framework for leadership development. And it goes from selection to assessing a person's individual capabilities to coaching, mentoring, training, job application, and teamwork. So there's seven stages to that framework that we take people through a nine-month leadership development program. The seven steps of intentional leadership is a model of leadership development, a fundamental model that helps people first look at themselves and see what do I need to do to be more effective leader? And then what do I do with my team to be a more effective leader? It's always inside out. Leadership is always an inside out process. And the first step is step one is purpose. So step one of my seven steps of intentional leadership is purpose. And we got to have purpose. People say, okay, so where do we start with purpose individually? I need to know who I am. That's great. So I can remember many years ago when I was uh, teaching for the Covey Leadership Center and teaching the seven habits of highly effective people. And people would write a personal mission statement, which is the first component of step one of purpose is write a personal mission statement. Every leader that we work with, whether it's coaching or in our leadership program starts by either revamping their personal mission statement, revisiting it or writing it. And the problem is most leaders don't have one. And that's very interesting because about 10 years ago, I worked with a coach and he got me to write down my purpose. And it, it's something that I, I fall back on all the time. When it, and whenever anyone says, why do you do what you do? I can say I love seeing the lights go on in people's heads. And yeah. that's, that's the purpose of an educator. Can you give me an example of, um, of someone's mission statement that kind of impressed you? Because they would be creating those in, uh, when you work with them, probably. Well, um, I don't know if it impressed me, but uh, there was one particular person that wrote, um, uh, I, I lift people up. Oh, that's nice. And that, that was it. Now, that's nice. so the question becomes, when you write a personal mission statement, my personal mission statement is to first develop my leadership capabilities so I can be the best possible human being that I am as a father, as a spouse, as a, as a friend, as a sibling, as a business person. You know, I can look at all those roles and say, I want to show up as the best possible version of myself every day and to share what I know about leadership because that's what's at my core of what I do. I help people with their own leadership process. So I have to, I have to, fix mine, if you want to say, or have mine in place and then work with others. So I can look in the mirror every night, Nina, and I can ask myself the question, even when I had a terrible day, I can ask, did I live my mission? If I live my mission, if I live my purpose, that was a great day. I might not have accomplished anything in my own mind. I might have gotten, you know, anything moving forward, but I, I, I showed up in a way that was positive that was uplifting, 
that was helpful, that was kind most of the time. Sometimes I'm not really kind because I have to tell some leaders the truth and it's a hard truth. So it doesn't come across as kind, but in the long run, it's, it's reinforcing their greatness. And of course, we're talking about developing the high emotionally intelligent manager and leader, but how can we transform the ones that are not? The ones that are borderline bullies. I mean, they're not reflecting every day, or are they, on how to be a better leader because all they're kind of so full of their own ego and so full of their own authority. Uh, you must have come across people like that in your travels. Uh, in, in all my years, there's only one CEO that I came across that fooled me. Uh, for nine months uh, working with him, he fooled me. He came across as a you know, thoughtful, caring uh, uh, CEO. And uh, I, I learned um, through the course of events over about a two or three week period that he was a bully and he was uh, a dictator and he didn't, he didn't care about the people. He only cared about the money. And uh, that, was, that, was a, that was a tough one for me to admit because when I interview CEOs to work with them, I'm looking for one thing out of them, Nina, just one thing. Do they have any ounce of humility that's it the if they have humility really great <laughs> yeah really great. right well, so because all the things that you said about a bully and you know all, you know that that's not somebody with humility that's someone who is and and let's make sure we understand when you see those behaviors and daniel goldman talked about the three black uh, dark nights and i talk about the three dark nights all the time the narcissist the sociopath and the Machiavellian. Oh, I thought they were all the same person. <laughs> no, they're not. And if you look at, so the, the narcissist thinks everybody loves them and they just go about their way. The, the sociopath doesn't care about anybody, but they will try to manipulate you with whatever it is they can uh, power or money or whatever it is they can manipulate you. And they'll try to do that. And the Machiavellian is simply going to try to get ahead at your expense. And if, if you allow me to get ahead at your expense, then you're an idiot. It's just your problem because you didn't compete very well. So when you look at, uh, at the behaviors of managers and leaders, many of the destructive leaders that I've worked with have usually one or two of those two dark sides of them. And they're really not that hard to figure out. And they think that they're so smart and they're getting away. Everybody around them knows. They know what exactly what they're like. Oh, they're, they're almost impossible to change because they're not able to look inside themselves. They're so focused on changing the world around to fit them. Correct. And as, as uh, Carol Dweck talks about in, in mindset, they have a fixed mindset. And they're, they're really scared to death, Nina. Yes. The inside, they are so afraid they're going to be discovered as the imposter that they are, that what they do is they attack others so that they don't ever have to go inside. They blame others. And in um, M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, long time ago, he wrote this book called The Road Less Traveled. And he talked about two types of people in his research, people with character flaws and people that were neurotic. 
And interestingly enough, it's the neuro- neurotic people that we want to work with because they, they take responsibility. They, they, they're neurotic enough to go, oh, how did I screw that up? Or what, are, you know, and not to the point of, of mental illness where they think that they're responsible for global warming. They're personally responsible for that. But I'm talking about a healthy neurosis of, of acceptance of responsibility. But the character flawed person, as he talked about, is the person that, that will not accept for any responsibility that everything that happens to them is out here. It's out here. Just like you said, exactly what you said. All the problems are out here. I'm okay. Because they don't want to go inside and see the flaws. And there's so much. They might see. There's, but there's so, what they don't realize, there's so much power in being able to accept the flaw in myself. It's just, it's powerful. Gives you the opportunity to work on it, to hone it. I look back at my youth and I'm almost embarrassed at some of the behaviours I displayed. And yet, compared to a lot of people I know, I wasn't that bad. But myself, judging my younger self, I go, why did I take that path? Why did I make that decision? But the thing is, I'm reflecting and aiming to be the best version of myself, to coin a phrase. And that's really the best we can all can do is to just aim to be, a, a, just polish our diamond just a little bit more each day. Would that be right? There you go. That, and, and again, we come back to where we started, right? Mm-hmm. Polish my diamond just a, a little bit more each day. That one thing, what can I work on? Work on one thing for 30 days, go to the next thing, go to the next thing. And maybe at the end of the year, I've got 9, 10, 11 new skills, new thoughts, new approaches, new ways of presenting myself so that in three to five years with a good training and a good coach, you can become a pretty mediocre manager and leader in three to five years. (laughs) That's right. It takes that long. It takes 10 to 15 to become great. Exactly. Exactly. Now, just before we close, uh, Dr. Gary, um, your book, A CEO's Journey, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. uh, Can you tell us a little bit about its focus? Or you already well, have the, focus, the whole conversation has been about it. <laughs> the subtitle is the seven steps of intentional leadership. And the story is about a CEO who has had a lot of success and things are falling apart. And because he hasn't had to face that kind of a challenge in the past, he doesn't know where to go, where to turn and what to do. So he ends up hiring a coach who was a previous boss of his. And he reaches out to her and he says, uh, Karen, could you, could you coach me? I'm in trouble and I need, really need help. And uh, the, the moral of that story is if there's anything that anybody wants to do to improve their leadership capabilities, start by hiring a coach. You know, world-class athletes, we always talk about, I, I use that metaphor before with coaches with world-class athletes. They have coaches and they're the best in the world. And yet businesses with mediocre to just above mediocre business leaders who need the help don't have a coach. And it's the fastest, best way to improve your capabilities. And you need to have the humility to actually go, I can learn by working with someone who can bring the best out in me. I like the fact that you say it's a parable because it means that instead of just buying a novel, this is like a novel about leadership why not read this uh, over the uh, you know over the coming break? 
So. Uh, oh yeah, over the weekend, I, it would take you. It's 150 pages, and it uh, doesn't tell you everything you need to know, but it it wets the whistle and lets people know what are the basics of leadership development that, that you need to have in order to have that foundation. It gives you a foundation to work from so that you can move from. And I, I have to tell you, Nina, you know, I, I, I talk about this all the time about bad bosses. My, my underlying mission is to get rid of bad bosses oh, that's because funny. bad bosses are destructive. The problem is that bad bosses aren't bad bosses because they want to be. Most of them are not the three dark knights. They're not a Machiavellian a narcissist. Uh, they're, you know, they're not a sociopath. They're just bad because they don't know how to be good. They've never been trained on how to be good. And in, in today's day and age with the stresses that we're under with the pandemic and all the other challenges that we have, you have people with these stresses and stresses bring out more triggers, triggers bring out more negative behaviors. Hire a freaking coach, write a mission statement, get rid of that, that, that confusion because if I have a mission statement and a coach that can hold me accountable, hold myself accountable, I can show up as a better version of myself every single day. Maybe not, not perfect, just a little bit better. Yes. Get rid of the bad boss, become good, become mediocre so that we're not bad and we're not destructive. And we're not hurting other people out of ignorance. That's, that's my message. That is, that is fabulous advice, Dr. Gary. And it is such a pleasure to hear you speak this refreshing truths and insights. Uh, I'm really inspired. So um, thank you so much for sharing, sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks for listening, Nina. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bye now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.